your reader, Angela B. Sprague from House of Readers. We are continuing on from chapter eight, the section of self-reflection. Chapter name is Know Your Worth. We're reading Silent Strength, Gaining Resilience and Triumph Through Life's Challenges. Monica Kunzakwakata. Self-reflection. Now, I am asking you, why are you staying? Whose life is it? What do you owe him or her? Pause for a moment and write down your ideal life. Describe it in detail and see how you feel. You do not have a short change. You do not have to short change yourself. So, so you made a bad decision. Don't punish yourself for it. Prior to moving to Canada, I held several managerial positions. I thought about the authority that I had, and I wondered how it was even possible that I felt so powerless. I remembered the responsibility I will always have to my young brothers and sisters. What will I teach them about self-worth? How would I empower my clients as a life coach? I was not going to let them down. There were many things that Tom did, but that's a story for another day. I realised earlier, I realised early in the relationship that things were not going to work. I felt depressed. I wondered how I could have made such a decision, bad decision. I kept asking myself that Saka Nadi Chadeninko Inini. So what am I going to do? That question was on my mind day and night until I decided to dig deep and use the lessons my father taught me I remembered my worth. I thought about the managerial positions, the uh, position I had held in the past. I thought about my position as the eldest grandchild. I thought about the responsibility I carry. How will I guide my brothers and sisters? If I allow myself to be treated like this, how are they going to feel if they knew? This experience taught me a lot about what men and women go through in these toxic and abusive relationships. I never imagined that anyone would believe their own lie and harass someone over it. I saw different personalities in one person. I heard friends and family and his family say that when he gets the knife, just don't rattle his cage. Just gently get out of his way and go to the next room. I can't believe that this was considered a long-term solution. After experiencing a lot of physical and emotional abuse as a young girl, I decided 
that this would not happen to me in my adult life. I needed to revisit my vow and the promise I made to myself. I remembered the values my father instilled in me and planned my exit. I am not afraid to start fresh. I am not concerned about what people think. I tried that before and it did not get me anywhere. To me, my peace of mind comes first. I do not do well when I feel oppresses and mistreated. My sleep is my right and I need it to function. No one should be given permission to deprive me of that. Tom failed to realize that being with him was a choice and so he had no right to tear me down, disrespect me or take anything from me because I had and I will always have a right to choose me. Well, this is what you get when you try to please people and lower your standards, I thought. I can safely say that up until that point, I had been both protected and defended by men from the moment I arrived on this earth. The first being my father. I think when he and my mom divorced, he made it his mission to protect me and made me his priority. I also believe that if he knew the conditions and the regulations of the church he later joined, he might not have joined it. To this day, most people in that church believe that the girl child is only meant for marriage, be a wife and have babies. It's a community which seems to have everything designed to give men the best of what life has to offer. Those who are born and raised in that church know nothing else otherwise. So I guess my views will sound absurd to them. The girl child scene seems too long for nothing but being married into a polygamous marriage, even if it means going headfirst into untold poverty. It's a case of Hakuna Matata, no worries, even when surrounded by hunger, high child and mother mortality, violence by women against other women. It is survival of the fittest. It is the sort of stuff that is not talked about as communities and authorities choose and authorities choose to turn a blind eye. That's where I have always had a different perspective to some of my younger sisters. When I was born, my parents were not in the church. I joined when I was about seven years old. My father had been moulding me from birth. I would hear his voice from when I was still in my mother's tummy. After their divorce, my father continued to be the strong voice that gave me reassurance, guidance and direction. All that was instilled in me could not be undone 
because it was sealed in my being and through my cells. During those earlier formidable years, it had been drilled into me that I was loved, valued, important, and I had rights. My father always created time for me, and that made me feel special. I was three years old when I went to live with my uncle and auntie in Mufakose, one of the oldest townships in Harare. My father had decided it was proper for me to live in a family setting where there were both a mother and a father figure. At the time he was living in Bulawayo, the second largest city in Zimbabwe. As a single parent, I believe he was facing some challenges with childcare since he lived very far away from other family members. I loved living with my auntie, uncle and cousins, but I missed my father. One Saturday morning, I was informed that Baba, father, was coming to visit with a special visitor. I was excited because I was going to see him. I missed him. I had not seen him in a few weeks. He often made the trip most Fridays to come and see me. My cousins and I were told to have an early shower so that we looked presentable when they showed up. We usually had our uh, bathe around 5 p.m. just in, just in time for getting indoors at sunset. We played outside all day, only coming indoors to eat or for a drink. But on this day, we had cleaned up by midday. My father and his visitor, a beautiful lady dressed in blue and white, two-piece suit with matching shoes, arrived around 12.30 p.m. After lunch, all the kids went outside to play as usual. I was the only one called back into the lounge to join my father and that lady. She looked a bit shy. I sat next to my father and he started talking by reminding the woman about the conversation they had had earlier on. He looked at her and said, Do you recall the conversation we had about my daughter? Like I said earlier, she comes first. Everything else is secondary, including my marriage to you, if it happens. I wanted you to meet her first. The lady looked at me, smiled and nodded, her head in acknowledgement. He continued, take some time to think about it, because I am a father first. Any decision I make, right or wrong, will affect my child. I must be right this time. I have been divorced once, and you see how it affects her. I can't do this to her again. That's why I want you to know how much this young girl means to me. He then turned to me and said, Mona, this lady is Karen. You can call her auntie. She might come and become part of a family if she decides to marry me. My face lit up because I thought, with a woman in the house, 
I will go and live with my father. I was happy with my uncle and auntie, but I missed my father. When the introductions were done, I went outside to play, and I was praying that she said yes. All I wanted was someone to call mum and have a normal family. The conditions my father laid out to Karen might seem minor, but to me it instilled one more message. I was a priority, and a serious decision could not be made without enough consideration of how it would affect me. I think this is where some parents fall short. A child has only his or her parents, and he or she should be a priority because they need to be fed, educated, clothed, protected, and taught some life skills. I had all of that. After eight months, I was told that my father was getting married. I figured Auntie Karen had said yes. After they settled, I went to live with them. I was now eight years old. I was excited, but that excitement would soon disappear. I was happy to have a mother and a father again, but my happiness was short-lived. A lot happened when my father was at work. One day, by chance, it came to his attention that things were a bit tough on his little girl. We had a civic day at school, and all the kids went to school dressed in their best clothes. Just before we left, father, just before we left, father noticed that I was wearing this flimsy, wrinkled, pale pink cotton dress, which Karen got a neighbour to make for me. She chose that dress for me to wear. He said, "Mona, go and get dressed. We're going to be late." I said, "I am already dressed." Standing by the door, carrying my little bookcase, I, he wanted to know what had happened to the decent clothes he bought a few weeks ago. A few weeks back, although I knew I could not answer, because I was terrified. He looked at Karen, but she ignored him. My father went to my room and、uh, room to. My father went to my room to look for a nice dress, but there weren't any clothes in my closet. He looked everywhere until he went into their bedroom, searching in their closet. He still could not find them. He came out and said, "Monica, where are all your clothes?" Noticing that I was too terrified to speak, standing and fixed in one position, he went back and turned their bedroom upside down. Karen chose to ignore my father and instead started shouting at him, saying, "That is not his responsibility as a man to choose clothes for a girl child to wear." My father did not respond. He kept looking. Until he found my clothes tucked away in a in an old cardboard box, which was kept on the top of their wardrobe, when I, where I could not reach, he took out my favorite brown and white dress, which was still brand new, although I took that dress and wore it per his instruction. I knew 
I was going to pay one way or the other because it was not him I spent my days with. It was none other than Karen. My father looked at Karen and calmly repeated his words from the introduction day. Remember, I told you that you cannot be with me if you cannot accept my child. I am all she has got. He began to shake his head. Nikisi, Nikisi. Has vishandiba, izvi. No one. No, no. This doesn't work, he continued. He extended his hand and said, Hua, Moana, Wango Hande. Come on, my child, let's go. I reached for his hand and we, and we went to the car. I sat in the front seat, but in my heart I was praying that she gets to leave. When Karen realised the seriousness of her action, she came out running after the car as we drove off. I could see her in the rearview mirror. My father stopped the car. When she approached his window, he started to ask. She started to ask for forgiveness. Nada pota pota. Murume wangu. Handi chesaviti. Futi. I am so sorry, my husband. I will never do it again. But my father did not say much. He just insisted that he wanted her gone by the time he got back from work, and that she could take anything she wanted from the house. He didn't care. He wanted her gone. We drove all the way from Sake to Chikwaha, where our family owned a grocery store. There was a lot of traffic that day, so it took us about 40 minutes to get there, a journey which normally took half the time. My father kept saying was, uh, all my father kept saying was, no, no, this doesn't work. And checking if I was all right. I was not brave enough to say what I was going through. I was too terrified. He was protecting me from abuse. His words were not empty words. Deep down, I was happy. I thought, with Karen gone, my troubles had come to an end. Unfortunately, when we came back home that evening, Karen had called her mum to intervene for her, with the promise that she will change the way she treated me. She stayed. From then on, the treatment I got improved a little. There were some changes, but still, with hidden cruelty. The treatment changed from being starved to forced feeding. As a child, I used to struggle to eat as I believe most kids do. Karen would intentionally give me adult food portions and stand there beside me until I finished eating. I would eat until I was about to throw up. She didn't care, but just insisted that I finished my portion. She was always on standby to slapping me with the back of her hand if I made any mistake and I made a lot of those 
because I was nervous all the time. One day she slapped me and I had a nosebleed. As I was going to the bathroom to wash the blood off, she yanked me back and said, where do you think you're going? Here, use these newspapers to clean yourself up. I started to cry. She said, don't even dare. Raising a hand to give me another back off the hand slap. I'm not your mother. She reminded me as if I didn't know. She would openly shower me with a lot of praises in front of my father. I knew. I knew that if I had opened my mouth to say anything, I would come across as an ungrateful, spoiled brat. Parents should never underestimate how much stuff the children are, children are able to understand and articulate. Karen was probably forgotten about. Karen, I beg your pardon. Karen has probably forgotten about her behaviour or the trauma it might have caused, but I haven't. The good part is that I have not forgotten how special my father made me feel and it is from his love and protection that I know that I am not supposed to be abused by anyone. As a firstborn and first grandchild, I was loved. However, it also came with challenges and responsibilities. From as young as six, from as young as six, all the grandchildren were encouraged to respect me. I used to find it strange that another child would address me with such respect, but I got used to it. I also, I was also reminded that I should always be a role model to my young brothers and sisters. I took my responsibilities seriously. We did not witness any violence in the family or saw our parents arguing. I grew up to know that it should not happen. As a child, the only beating I got was at school, maybe once or twice, at home only by Karen. My father never knew about the beatings. My father, uncles, aunties or grandmothers never laid a hand on me. So the question I ask a man who threatens to hit me is, what have you contributed to my well-being so far? That gives you the right to hit me or tear me apart. Besides, I, I just feel I would have let my young brothers and sisters down. What would I tell them if I intentionally stay in an abusive relationship? How could I guide them and encourage them to stay safe? The other person who taught me that a loving relationship was not achieved through manipulation and guilt-tripping was my first love. We respected each other and wanted the best for each other. He respected my choices and I respected his. He was kind, gentle, generous and protective. We often got in trouble for doing the right thing. He 
would come out, he would come to a house to ask for, for permission to take me out, despite all our efforts to do everything by the book. We got punished for it. But that is a story for another day. After experiencing the quality of friendship I had with him, I could not see myself in a relationship where there was no respect for one another. I knew I could not be someone else's doormat. Unfortunately, he had to go abroad to further his studies, and other forces came into play, and the relationship ended. From that relationship, I learned that you can be with someone who compliments you and make life beautiful and worthwhile. I am grateful I had the opportunity to have such an experience. There are other people who go through life without ever meeting that person who ticks all the boxes. Yes, I seem to be praising men only, but in my experience, men have played a pivotal role in shaping who I am today. My uncle Walter, may his soul rest in peace, used to take my sister, Judith, and me to his workplace. At the time, my sister was in grade 9 and I was in grade 10, preparing to write my final exams. Uncle Walter was the production manager for Caridon, the largest sandpaper producing company in Africa at the time. On arrival at his workplace, he would give us some dust coats and assign us some homework. He would pop in to check how we are doing, have tea breaks and lunch with us. This was frowned upon by most men in that organisation as it was a male-dominated industry. Witnessing Uncle Walter paying so much attention to his daughter's education and empowering them did not go down well with some of his colleagues. Furthermore, the congregation at Apostolic Faith Church, or in bracket, Wapostori Vakwa Marange frowned upon the way Uncle Walter was raising us. Uncle Walter and his family were members of the Apostolic Faith Church at that time. The church did not believe in educating and empowering women, and Uncle Walter was just doing the opposite. In the Apostolic Faith Church, females are only allowed to get educated up to seventh grade and then have an arranged marriage. Women did not have the same rights as men. One Saturday morning, Uncle Walter and family went to church and the whole service was about him. Fathers who do not follow the laws of the church was the theme of the sermon. The following week, it was the same thing. It became obvious some of his work colleagues and subordinates had gone to tell the church leaders about how Uncle Walter treated his daughters. In retaliation, he stopped going to that church. He believed his children, male or female, were his priority about everything else. As a result, he never set foot in that church again. 
He did not argue with anyone. He did not cause a scene, but decided to honour his beliefs and choices. Later on, as life progressed, Judith shared a story with me. One day, Uncle Walter came home and told her that he had found her a husband. I will continue the rest of this story on the following read. Thank you for listening. Angela B. Sprague from House of Readers.